our Father and our God. We are reminded of the expanse of the universe and the might and glory and greatness of our God. And it causes us to be unsure what to even do. We are undone. We have Isaiah experiences. What should we do? We could never clap loud enough or hard enough or long enough. We could never be still or quiet enough. But we do know this, that you are great and you deserve all the praise and honor and glory for all that you have done and for all that you are. And so we offer it up to you now, Lord, and we ask that you would open up our hearts to your word to us because you have an important message to tell us today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles up to John chapter 1, chapter 21, sorry. John chapter 21. I want to continue on with the uh, event that was taking place after the resurrection of Christ and the disciples are at the Sea of Galilee and I want to catch up with their journey a little bit more as we conclude this series, this Live Big series this morning and tonight. It seems to me that um, <clears throat> as, I've, as I've looked at the disciples' lives and, and tried to understand what brought them to this point and, and what Jesus is teaching them, I really am convinced that it's appropriate for us to kind of stand in as the disciples and, and accept upon ourselves the kinds of emotional responses and reactions that they had in this journey with Jesus. Because I, I really believe that, that the Gospels teach us very much what it is like to live the Christian life and journey with Christ and, and the very various things that he took the disciples through are the various kinds of things that we go through in our lives. Not exactly the same, but the same kinds of lessons, the same learning is needed for us. And, and we discovered last week that in, in so many ways, Peter and the other disciples, but Peter kind of comes to the forefront. Peter has in so many ways become undone. He's a man of action. And in particular, his control of action. Uh, he expects certain actions to bring about or produce predictable results. And for the most part, we, we can identify with that. That's, that's how we hope life works for us. A certain kind of action will, predict, or will produce a certain kind of predictable response. Result. And it was um, perhaps at his finest moment as Peter stood with Jesus and the other disciples at Caesarea Philippi and Jesus asked the question of Peter and the other disciples, who are people saying that I am? And they gave some responses and then he, he asked, but who do you say that I am? And, and in his finest moment, Peter says, you are the Christ, Messiah, the Son of the living God. And of course, in, in saying that, Peter anticipated there are certain realities that come along with that title. The Messiah, the promised Messiah, the Son of the living God, very divine Son of God. It means that um, surely the results or product that will follow that, the expectations that we should have would be that, that this great Messiah is going to bring in His, his kingdom and, and we're going to have really good situation for ourselves as we serve with this king. 
That's why a few verses later in Matthew 16, Jesus is, is telling his disciples that he's going to go and, to Jerusalem and be persecuted and die. And, and Peter says, what? Uh, no, I'm rebuking God's will. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that would cause you to be a little emotionally disrupted, don't you think? For you do not have on your, for you have on your mind the things of man, not the things of God. I don't find myself overly critical of Peter, to be honest, because I see a whole lot of myself in him. And and I, I realize that the lessons that Jesus is teaching Peter, he is teaching me. He's teaching you. See, um, Many of us join along with Peter, jumping emotionally in and out, rejoicing when everything goes right, disappointed when God seems to leave us struggling. Right? And I think in this particular situation, it seems as if Peter might be in danger of going back to what he knew, what made him feel adequate. A predictable provision for his family if he went out and fished. Because Peter was a fisherman. He was good at it. And ever since he'd stepped up for God, life was anything but smooth. I want you to look in your Bibles at the story this morning. It's John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. When they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John... Do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, John had written this gospel decades after. By this time, Peter was dead. He gives a parenthetical thought here. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? In other words, it was me. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Peter is already in his life with Christ, being taken to the shocking place of darkness and failure. His bravado 
has been put on display before all of his buddies and shown to be soft. His systems and strategies had just taken a colossal blow on the Sea of Galilee, fishing all night, catching nothing. I think we could excuse Peter if he was feeling a little bit insecure. And Peter, of course, is particularly is a particular personality type, which is impetuous emotionally. Needs for, need for instant gratification was always dogging Peter. He's all in while the dream is alive. But he had just witnessed the dream being hammered to a cross. And resurrection hadn't breathed life back into his personal dreams. You say, wait, stop there for a second. I need an explanation. I thought the resurrection was the big event that ignited the passion of their hearts. Well, the resurrection has already occurred. They've seen Jesus a couple of times. This is the third time they've seen Jesus. Do you get the impression that they're all hyped up about the mission? See, um, the resurrection of Christ was not a new concept to those who followed God. The resurrection of people who were followers of the living God was not a new idea. In fact, um, all the disciples and and, and the faithful of, of Israel always believed that when they died, they'd go to be with God. You remember when Jesus was um, with Martha and Mary after Lazarus had died? Do you remember how he was trying to comfort Martha? And he said, your, your brother will, will rise again. And she said, oh, I know, at the resurrection. Because in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, there was a clear teaching from the Old Testament scriptures that those who were followers of the living God, when they died, went to be with God. So uh, that Jesus came back to life after he was slaughtered on the cross was not a shocking theological realization to them. It it wasn't as if um, if this was a new thing that, that, what, you mean you come alive after you're dead? You live forever with God? Now, don't get me wrong, they were ecstatic that that Christ was alive, the the one they loved. They were were ecstatic with the, the reality that this certainly buoyed their faith. They saw it with their own eyes. But it wasn't the dream that they had in mind when Peter confessed Christ as the Messiah the Son of the living God. And Jesus is fully aware of how they're thinking and of what he wants in terms of the mission and what needs to to happen at this moment. And and so, um, clearly, the kingdom now was the dominating dream of all of Israel, and certainly the disciples. The kingdom now. And we know that in a few days, in a couple of weeks, they would be standing on the Mount of Olives with Jesus, and the first question out of their lips, several days after this, was going to be, so, um, like, are you bringing in the kingdom now? It's like, ah, you guys never learn. 
was all about the kingdom. <laughs> I mean, the resurrection hadn't changed their political situation. The resurrection hadn't changed their social situation. The resurrection hadn't changed their physical situation. The resurrection apparently had made no difference around them at all. Rome was still dominating. There were still people out doing nasty things to each other. And they were watching their friends get sick and die. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like the times we're called to live in. I'm convinced that um, to understand this text, you have to understand that Jesus has to light a better fire in Peter's heart than his personal plans. And when you've been to the desert and through the darkness and feeling very vulnerable and unsafe, when what you had hoped God would do for you hasn't or isn't happening, it may be that God is shaking you down so you finally and really have to face and settle your affections. I suggest that across the the room this morning that in reality, the journey that you're on and what God is, where God is taking you and what God is, is, is the, the journey with Christ is, in essence, settling for you once and for all your affections. There is no more important question to settle in your life. You have to have deeper cravings than your own dreams. Because your own dreams can come to a crashing halt very quickly. People with deep cravings to love and be loved regularly bypass an eternal spring of love on their way to substitute satisfactions. That's what the disciples were in danger of. In Jeremiah... Chapter 2, God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, outlines the basic problem of people when he says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. What the disciples were in danger of is bypassing God in Christ, in favor of their own desires of what God would do for them. And we're all in danger of that. Peter had a um, propensity for digging his own cisterns. In Matthew chapter 26, he stands in front of Christ and all of his friends and says, if If everybody else falls away, I will not. And then he is so bold to say, even if I have to die with you, I will die. And then a few hours later, he's caught catnapping when he should be praying. It wasn't long after that. As he stands... uh, 
up after his prayer time and the Roman soldiers come to take Christ away, that he hacks off Malchus's ear. Take this for the kingdom. And then he's standing by the charcoal pit in Pilate's praetorium while a young woman says, you're one of them, you're one of those Galileans, you've been hanging out with Jesus. He says, I don't, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. Three times he denies him. Having said, if everybody else takes off, I'll still be there, Jesus. Even if I have to die for you, I'll die for you. Why was he not willing to? Because the dream of the kingdom was coming to an abrupt conclusion. And now Peter takes the guys fishing. Dig up a livelihood. So, what well are you going to draw from to send the disappointments away and quench your thirst for life? The deserts of uncertainty, the darkness of disappointments, and the distresses of unsafe moments that you've all been through are all there to drive us to one real overarching decision crisis. Peter... Son of, or son of John, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? That's the most important question that has to be settled in all of our lives. And whatever journey you're on, or whatever the specifics of the journey are at this very moment, it is to drive you to that place where you settle once and for all. What is your affection? Who is your affection? Nothing and no one else is guaranteed to hold water in your life but God. The only fire that cannot be smothered by a sinful world that you live in is God's love for you and your love for God. And the variable in that is your love for God. Never His love for you. God's kingdom vision for these guys right there by the shore of the Sea of Galilee is the catching and caring for people. That's what this whole illustration is all about. They go fishing, they catch nothing. Jesus tells them to throw it on the net, it's full of fish. He told them he was going to make them fishers of men. It's about catching people for Christ. And when you have caught them, Peter, I want you to care for them. That's the commission on the church. And the one essential to make the catching and caring a reality when all of the dreams that you have are collapsing around you is your affection for God. There are all kinds of important qualities to have in the Christian life. But love is indispensable. And Jesus intends to make that point loud and clear to Peter and every other disciple who will follow Jesus down through the ages. The supreme motivating and emotionally insulating quality is love for God. Any affections that supersede the single focus on Christ and and loving Christ 
will introduce, introduce undue agonies into your life and are nothing more than broken cisterns that don't hold water. So the question this morning is, Peter, Sally, Tom, Susan, Elroy, do I love God unconditionally? Jesus talked about delivering abundant life. This is how he anticipated it would happen. What is the abundance? I choose to fill my emptiness. That's the question that has to be asked. Is it going to be God or other dreams and expectations? Peter, what's it going to be? By the way, we we don't have the advantage of being there as eyewitnesses that morning. It would have been kind of helpful for us as interpreters of the scriptures. Jesus is standing there with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me more than, do you truly love me more than these? The question is, what is the these? Or are the these? Or whatever grammar you're supposed to use. (laughs) Do you love me more than these? More than what? And, And what would it look like if I did? That's the questions that are being answered here. Now, now um, there's a lot of interpreters' opinions of what the these is. Uh, Jesus might have been saying to them, uh, do you love me more than you love these guys, your friends? Could be. Although I doubt Jesus would ask him that because Peter had, in all of his Follies and foibles proven one thing, that he was passionately interested in following Jesus and, and getting, getting all that he could get. And, and, and I don't think he loved the guys more than he was interested in Jesus. The other possibility, and I'm surprised at the number of interpreters that go this way, suggests that maybe Jesus was saying, do you love me more than these guys love me? I find it really difficult and a huge strain for me to accept that our Lord would establish some sort of competition. I mean, he'd already tried to thwart some of the rivalries they had before. Lord, can we be at your right hand, your left hand, and all of that stuff? Jesus doesn't set up rivalries and competition between uh, his children. Who would do such a thing? Right, that, that somehow Jesus is looking at us this morning and saying, I wonder who it is in Calvary Baptist Church that loves me the most. And by the way, talk among yourselves. And, 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 and while you're at it, why don't you get into a competition about it? Because that's really going to make me excited. I want to find out who it is. Kind of like a reality show. Who loves Jesus more? I personally think that in light of all that's been going on and how Peter and the disciples are kind of crushed with all of it, I think he's looking at the nets, the boats, the fish, their dreams and everything and saying, do you, do you guys love me more than this stuff, more than your dreams, more than your victories and your hopes? Uh, keep in mind, Jesus is um, setting himself up over against... All other affections. I'm convinced that he's saying to... The love issue here is is more than all of the expectations that you had for me.
Now, a lot of people also, commentators like to make a big deal out of the different words he used for love here. Um, Keep in mind that, first of all, Jesus would have been talking in Aramaic, not in Greek. That this original was a translation that John had to make from Aramaic to Greek already, and then making it translation from Greek to English. So, I, I will resist the discussion about the silliness of translating God's word and how we get all bent out of shape with each other when in fact the Holy Spirit guides the translation of his word carefully so that we are offered uh, clearly what God wants us to have in the, in the very words of God. But in this particular situation, it's, it says here in the text that um, Simon, son of John, do you truly, and the word that Jesus used, love, agape, me more than these. And Peter answers, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I phileo you, I, a different kind of love. And now, uh, interpreters have said, now the agape love is the decision love, and it's the strongest, it's the highest form of love. And the phileo is the brotherly love, it's kind of a friendly love. And, and, uh, and Peter's taking a lesser role in saying, well... Lord, yeah, I, I can't love you at that level, but I do love you at this level. And then as we wind our way down through the text, we finally get to the place where in the last loves, Jesus says, well, okay, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. And, and so if you take that line of reasoning, then we have to assume that Jesus lowers the bar. He says, well, Peter, if you can't love me that much, could you love me this much? That's not the Lord I know. The Lord I know doesn't ever lower the bar. When has Jesus ever lowered the bar? No, he, he wants it all. He wants our total love. This is a style, I believe this is a stylistic choice that, that the Holy Spirit laid on John's heart because after all, you need to know that in this very text, which by the way, very few interpreters bother to talk about, is the choice of using different words for all kinds of things. You have the lambs and the sheep. Why wouldn't he just use the same word? In fact, in the word feed and take care, two different Greek words. And, and, and the coup de grace, as, as Alain Jaguer would say, is found in verse 17. There you have, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Do you realize that those two different Greek ways of saying no? Uh, Peter himself says, Lord, you oida all things, and you gnosko that I love you. So, so it's, it's not unusual for John, stylistically, to just give a variety, because Greek has a very colorful way of describing things. And some people get all excited about the fact that Jesus said three times, do you love me? Like he, because Peter denied three times and there were three nails at the cross and blah, 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 blah. I think Jesus is trying to drive home a really important message. And uh, you know what? Regularly we have to hear it more times than one. I, I know Lynn knows this, that she can tell me something one time and I've never heard it. Two times, I might have heard it. Three times, if she has to tell me three times, by that time, I'm hearing it because she's in my face. (laughs) I think Jesus is just getting in Peter's face. 
Let's not, um, let's be careful, although I'm, I'm, I'm a sticker about studying the words and the original language and all of that and structure, but let's, not, let's be careful that stimulating structural speculation doesn't distract us from the true message here. It's not types of love and, and, and all kinds of intellectual gymnastics that we should go th- through here. It's what this love does is the point. It's, it's that we love Christ uh, above all things. If you hear nothing else, that's the point. And it's never a lowering of any standard or bar. Jesus wants our total devotion and affection. Now, let me do this quickly because there are three times. I'm going to give you three quick points about this love. First of all, this love and why it's so important to love the Lord your God, to love Him, is because this love will enable you to substitute your dreams and preconceived expectations for Christ's concerns. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I understand your dreams of boats and fishing and messiahs and all of that. I understand your expectations, but do you truly love me more than these things? Would you deny yourself and take care of my concerns. He said, this is my dream, Peter. I want you to know about my dream. My dream is that you would go out and you would catch people for Christ and that you would care for them. That's my dream, Peter. Does my dream matter to you? My dream is that you'd go fishing and we're all called to outreach and discipleship and we're called to make effort and resources available because our dream is to become what Christ's dream is. Uh, We're to substitute our dreams and our preconceived expectations of what it might mean to be a Christian and, and trade them for Christ's concerns. My sheep, Peter. You can either live life hopping from one immediate feel-good moment to the next in between your occasional God drive-bys or lock in your love for Christ no matter what. That's what Jeremiah the prophet is really saying. (laughs) You know, on your way to find your own solutions and take care of your own dreams, you're bypassing me. You're forgetting about me. You're forsaking me. And you're trying to dig cisterns that won't hold water. Passing by the living, eternal spring of God's love. Don't do it. There's a lady by the name of Carrie Prejean. Heard of her? Miss California. This past week, she was at the very precipice of realizing her lifetime dream of becoming Miss America. And she was asked a question. It was all it was left to do is answer this question well, and she would become Miss America. But Carrie Prejean is a follower of Jesus Christ, Miss California. The question was asked of her, do you agree with same-sex marriage? Now at that moment, she had a decision to make. Do I give the politically correct answer and in turn receive the crown of Miss America? Or do I consider Christ's concerns? Is it going to be my dream or my love for God? 
And she stood before that major audience, worldwide audience, and said, marriage is between a man and a woman because that's God's plan. And she lost the crown. She chose Christ's concerns over her own dreams. That's why you have to know in advance who you love. Do you love your dreams or do you love your Christ? And she didn't get the Miss America crown, but I have a feeling that it was a check mark in heaven. When Carrie Prejean gets to heaven, she's going to get the Miss Heaven crown. What do you think? She has loftier dreams. Secondly, um, he says to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, verse 18, and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Peter, this road is going to get rough. Peter knew what stretching out your hands meant in that culture. That meant you were going to be crucified. That's how you're going to die. John already knew he died that way. He writes after Peter's death, writes and tells us that this is how he would glorify God. This love, secondly, will enable you to stay the course of the mission even when the road gets really rough. Is it going to be your dreams and what you always hope and how things will work out? Or are you going to choose to stay the course? It's one thing to honor him in your life, but what about when he asks you to honor him with your death? Peter, remember you told me that if everybody left, you would die with me? Well, you're going to get your opportunity to do that. Your words will come true. The final assignment of honor. Isn't it amazing that God can turn an execution into a gospel presentation? Do you realize that um, this love that we have for God is for better or for worse? It's for richer or for poorer. It's in sickness and in health. It's not a contract. It's not a contract love where as long as everything goes the way I hoped it would go, I'll hang in there and I'll follow Christ. No, it's for worse. It's in poverty. It's in suffering. It's in health crisis. Because only love will survive those battles. That's why Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Why? He goes on to say, because I'm convinced that what has come is for my deliverance. You know, as you had to stand by the sickbed of someone you loved, a follower of Christ, you know why they can say, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him? Because what has now transpired is for their deliverance into the presence of Christ. Peter, do you love me? Because for those who love me, this is the journey. It's not going to be easy. But I guarantee you, at the end, you will glorify me. And then finally, John happened to tag along, and Peter notices. He says, um, Okay, I've heard about the journey. It's going to be a little rough for me, but what about him? Isn't that the way it is for us? You know, um, Lord, what about them? What's it going to be like for them? And, and Jesus is for the third time saying, Peter, do you love me? Because 
If you love me, it really doesn't matter what's going to happen or what I choose to do with them. It doesn't matter if it's going to be easier. It's not about your dreams or your expectations. It's about turning over ownership of your life and following me. Peter, follow me. Serve me with all your heart. You'll be saying you love me by serving me because serving is following. You must follow me, not your dreams. Because if you love me, I am your dream. Francis Chan is helpful to conclude our thoughts this morning. He says, God's one goal for us is himself. That's what Jesus and Peter were interacting about that day. Peter, do you love me? Do you truly love me more than these? Peter, do you truly love me? Peter, do you love me? Because I sure love you. In Jeremiah, where we started, and with this we'll close. In Jeremiah, where we began, the first chapter, Jeremiah is told by the Lord that before I formed you, Jeremiah, I knew you. And in Jeremiah's case, I chose you to be a prophet to God's people. I believe that text in Jeremiah chapter 1 is applicable to all who follow Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing that before he, before we knew him, he knew us and formed us and picked us to know him because he loves us. Calvary Baptist Church. Do you love Jesus more than these? That question has to be settled. And if in all the teaching that I've had the privilege of offering to you over the last seven plus years could be all wrapped up into one challenge that needs to hold us until we get back together again in a few months, it is this. Calvary, love Jesus Christ Above all things, our Father and our God, we offer this to you as our benediction that we love you and we realize you first loved us and we praise you and we thank you for who you are in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having dreams and expectations and plans and hopes. Jesus simply insists that you love him more. Because the dreams and the expectations and the plans can all change in an instant. But Christ's love never changes. And if he is your dream, you will never, ever be disappointed. Ever. That's the important message on the seashore of Tiberias that has made its way to the corner of Roslyn and Ritson and hopefully into your heart. Our Father and our God, we love you. You love us, we know that. And I pray that you would cause us to love you with this kind of love. For it is not only for our good, but it is for your glory. And for this we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.